with us, learning with us. You've encouraged us. Now, from God's Word, I have the privilege to encourage you. We are in a series going through the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, we land over at Mark 6. So open your Bible up there, whether you have paper Bible, electronic Bible. It's always best if you can follow along and check me out. So back way, way long ago in the 60s and 70s, one of my favorite television programs was Mission Impossible. Some of you remember that show. And then they remade it, did movies about it with Tom Cruise in it. You know what I liked originally were all the little gadgets, the techno gadgets that they had, and the disguises, all the intrigue of trying to figure out what was going on. They carried some of that into the movie version as well. In the original series, the good guys would always find a tape recorder, like in a phone booth. You remember those? Some of you remember those. Uh, in a phone booth, in a parked car, in a house, or someplace ordinary. And as they listened to the assignment that they've been given, they were told, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is this. And then they tell a little bit about, more about it, and there was a chilling warning that in the event of capture, all knowledge will be disavowed. And uh, then just a few seconds later, it says, 10 seconds, this will disintegrate. And you see this tape going up in smoke. You know, smoke fills the screen. I don't know. They did it some, some kind of old school way. They destroyed that tape. So this morning, Mark 6, 1 through 13, kind of looks like a mission impossible when you read through it. But the mission is possible. The mission is possible when we move forward in faith. That's part of what we're going to learn today. This passage challenges us to accept, understand, and execute the mission that God has given you. I know sometimes you think that only we as pastors have a mission, but the mission is given to every one of us. Our arena is as pastors. Your arena is wherever God has placed you, in your house, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. We are all to be on mission, and the mission is possible. You can do it in God's power when Christ is working in you and through you. Now this passage we're going to get into this morning, when you read through it, some of the events strike us as a little bit different compared to some of what we experience, but the lessons are here for the taking. So Mark 6, 1 through 3, we'll start out, just follow along either on the screen or in your Bible. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked, what's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So 
Jesus left Nazareth as a carpenter. He returned back as a rabbi. And the people in his local village couldn't figure out how could this happen. The Nazareth local yokels, they, they wondered, what has happened to Jesus? And they began to ask these questions about, isn't he carpenter's son? Isn't he Jesus who was born to Mary? And they're thinking, he doesn't have any training. Not a rabbi. What we learn here, the principle, is some people are difficult to reach. Some people are difficult to reach, and often it's our family and friends. Though we are called, as we'll talk about as we go along here, we are called to be on mission to our family and friends. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes people respond readily, but oftentimes it's persevering over the years, loving on people down through the years. People in Nazareth say, isn't this Mary's son? And this wasn't a compliment necessarily. There's a, co a commentator named William Lane. Just listen. He says, it was contrary to Jewish usage to describe a man as the son of his mother. Even when she was a widow, and it's possible, probable that she was a widow at this point. William Lane says, describing a man as the son of his mother is insulting. It's a put down. I don't know if this is politically correct or not, but it's like saying he's, he's a mama's boy. And that's the text, is they were, they were putting him down. They were saying, ah, who, who is this guy? Now, Jesus knew that he could not wow them with miracles. They weren't responding. It wasn't that he was incapable of doing miracles. It's that he knew the miracles that he did would not necessarily convince them that he was the Messiah. In fact, he says a prophet, as he will say, is a prophet is without honor in his own country. Now, ultimately, we know that People like James and Jude, his brothers, you see their names there? We got a couple of Bible books by the name of James and Jude. And so ultimately his brothers came to know Christ and became witnesses of Christ. And this is what I'm saying is that as we are on mission with our family, with our friends, oftentimes it's a process over the period of years of conversations, of loving on people, of persevering through all the ups and downs, and oftentimes there comes a time when people trust in Christ as Savior. I remember I was a new Christian at the University of Iowa, had followed Christ for about two or three years, and then my younger brother came to the university and I want to tell him about this newfound faith that I had in Christ and all that it meant to me. And, of course, I'd been doing that a little bit when I'd returned home from college. But I thought, now he's here, and now I can really spend some time with him, tell him about Christ. That didn't go so well. I can remember one time we were traveling in a car, and there were a couple of other kids from my hometown that were traveling with us. And... You know, I was being vocal about my faith, and immediately my brother and these other guys, they began to jump on me and just trying to tear down the things that I said, this is true. The Bible can be trusted. Jesus is real. 
Jesus can transform your life. And they're just, you know, just throwing things at me. And then my brother transferred over to Iowa State, and I thought, oh, now no, I'll never be able to reach him. But God put him right on the floor where there were some believers who began to share Christ with him. And eventually he came to trust in Jesus as his Savior. And God did some great things in his life. Um, went on, got a Christian counseling degree, spent some years over in Croatia doing ministry, served as a principal for 20 years, giving witness to Christ there in the school. And today he's an executive pastor in a large church over in Denver. And so God does these things over the course of time in ways that we don't always expect. Now note verse 6. The Nazarenes were amazed at Jesus' ministry back in verse 2, but what does it say about Jesus and his amazement? What was he amazed at? Their lack of faith. Their lack of faith. We find in Scripture Jesus was not necessarily amazed at all the architecture like King Herod had built these amazing structures. If you ever make it to Israel, you should go see some of the things that Herod built. You probably heard of Masada, which was a fortress. There's a place called the Herodium that's another fortress. You can go walk around these things. I mean, they're massive stone structures that Herod built. And you can see the Temple Mount that he improved. Jesus never commented on those things and said, Wow, that's really cool. He wasn't amazed at that kind of thing. He wasn't amazed at the power of Rome. Though Rome could bring the heat as it was in terms of the military power. He wasn't amazed by the wealth of the wealthy. There's two times he says he's amazed by people's faith, by the lack of faith of those in his hometown, and then by the faith of a guy who's a centurion. We won't take the time to turn over there, but I'll just remind you of the story over in Luke 7. You can go check it out later. In Luke chapter 7, verses 7 through 10, there's a centurion that comes, and he asked Jesus to heal one of the people that was serving him, and he says, I'm a man who's under orders, essentially what he says. He says, I tell a person to go, and they go. I tell a person that we need to do this and do this. And Jesus says, you remember, he says, I've never seen such faith. Because this man knew to send his servant to Jesus, and secondly, he understood that to be a person of faith is to trust and obey. We sing a song about that, in fact. Trusting and obeying, Jesus says he's amazed at the faith that that centurion had. So trust and obedience are the indicators of amazing faith. The means of accomplishing a mission that can feel like it's impossible. Are you trusting? Are you obeying today? Are you on mission for Jesus? That's the challenge Jesus gives us. Verses 7 through 9, it says that then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to them. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. 
go through this section and you think, what is going on here? This looks pretty impossible as far as a mission impossible. And we have to separate the wheat from the chaff, as they say here. There are things that they are doing that we don't necessarily do, but the principles that are here are the same principles that we're called to live. This section tells us how to be on mission. We're also going to look, as we go through some of this, at some parallel sections in the Gospel of Matthew, who tells us a little bit more about what was going on. The number one principle here is to go. We know the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. People might occasionally ask us, What's going on in your life? I see the strength that you have in Christ, the peace that you have in Him. But usually, we have to walk across the street, walk across the room, go and engage someone in conversation. We had a training program we did a number of years ago, in fact, with this very name, Walk Across the Room. And the idea is do something. If you don't know what to do, do something. We're called to go. So go. Get to know our neighbors. Take the opportunity to ask them about their lives. What's going on? What's happening? Spend time together. Walk across the room. Another principle here is travel light. Now, when I go, like when I'm traveling over to Ethiopia, like I just was, I bring a suitcase. For a couple weeks, travel fairly light. Now, not as light as the disciples did. And that's why I say there are some local elements here. Like, Jesus says, only take one tunic. I don't even have a tunic. And I wear sandals, but when I wear sandals, I'm just usually sitting around chilling, not walking very far. And so the principle here is travel light. And I think the hard part for us then, hard part for me, is I can do this for a couple weeks, but then I return home, and here's all my stuff. What am I going to do with all this stuff? And, I mean, questions about how often should I go golfing? How many golf clubs should I own? I mean, those are questions that we have to sort through living in the society, and you have to apply it to your life. Some of you say, I don't really care about golf clubs in the passage. It doesn't say anything about golf clubs. Uh, but the question that I have to ask you apply it yourself. question I have to ask is, how does golf help me to make connections and build relationships? And it does. How does golf help me to relax? And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but that's a whole different story. So, really, I'm serious here. We've got to sort this out. Because we all got stuff, and we got hobbies, and we've got things that we've got to figure out. How does this help me to accomplish the mission that God has called me to accomplish? And every day, you're on mission. 
I'm on mission. I'm on mission here. I'm on mission in Ethiopia. We're on mission. That's what God calls us to do. That's the principle that is here. Go and travel light. Now, obviously, even with Jesus' disciples, this was a special mission that they were on for a while. And they had to also provide for themselves, some of them for their families. Paul would make tents. And so all of these things are a part of being on mission and not opposed to being on mission. God integrates the ways that he calls us to provide for ourselves and our families and our workplaces and our schools and our families if we're willing to just ask that question. And again, there's something about going someplace and being on mission that helps us to focus. And I would really, really highly encourage you, if you've never done either local serving, you know, we have times where we call it Love Adele Day, Love Dallas County, all those kinds of things that we do, come out and serve. When we have opportunity for a missions trip, whether it be to Louisiana or Illinois or wherever it is, do it. Take the opportunity to do it because it helps you to focus. When there are opportunities that come up as God calls, wherever that might be, here locally, here within the state, out of state, overseas, take the opportunity. You say, well, I, I can't do that. Can't or won't? you got to decide. Take the opportunity. We do ministry better. It says next, it says better together. And that's why we have times where we especially focus and especially do things in ministry together because we do ministry better together when we're able to encourage one another, challenge one another, really engage deeply. We're, if we're working together during the day and we're out someplace where we're staying overnight together, we can have conversations in the evening, being together, eating together. All important components of really growing in Christ. Final principle is actually found over in Matthew chapter 10, 5, 6, which, as I say, is a parallel account of this same ministry assignment. There it says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And this is one of those sections in this passage. You go, What? And the reason why Jesus tell, says this is because Jesus is being strategic. And again, we find this as Jesus gives us these principles, and we find Paul doing the same thing. Who are the people that were most prepared to receive the message of the gospel? The message that Jesus said was a completion of what had been prophesied and told to us in the Old Testament. It was Israel. It was the people who were Jewish people because they understood that God was preparing us to respond to the Messiah. 
They understood those Old Testament texts like Micah 5, 2 that said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They understood all of how God was preparing his people. And so they were the ones who were strategically placed to carry out the foundation of the church. And that's exactly what we find. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what Jesus says over in John 44, 22. He says, salvation is from the Jews. This is what he told the Samaritan woman. He didn't ignore her. Jesus does not call us to ignore people that are, quote, quote, less strategic. He's just saying that there's some people that it's important to engage in order to reach other people. Be strategic. We have limited time, limited budgets. And so this kind of circle goes full circle. Who are the strategic people in your life? Family? Friends? People you've known and are in relationship with? And again, we have to all evaluate what our situation is, what our context is. We're called to be strategic and go first to those people that we love on, those people that we're in connection with. Mark 6, 10, and 11, Jesus says another one of these sections that we say, what is going on here? Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Shaking the dust off of your feet its a little bit like wiping your shoes before you go back inside your house. But here, it, there's meaning beyond that. It was a gesture that was showing uh, this relationship is, is being broken, is not going anywhere. Now, it sounds harsh, doesn't it? It sounds pretty harsh. But what's going on here is an act of delineation. It's, it's a boundary kind of a statement saying, here's a household that's not responding versus households and people and places, people that are responding. And I'm going to put it in a positive way because, like I say, it's hard for us to state this in the way that it's put. A positive way of saying it is especially help those who are receptive to God's truth. There are some people who are not receptive. And again, don't write them off. God calls us to stay connected to people and to persevere with people. And we don't write people off. But there are seasons, there are times when people are especially receptive to God's word and God's truth. And so, pour into those people. Talk with them. Take the opportunity, if a person is interested in knowing God's Word and hearing more about Jesus, take the opportunity to engage them. Mark 6, 12, and 13, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Again, one of these challenging sections. And because our minds kind of work like this, we immediately go, this sounds like a movie clip. But we do know 
And you can go and listen to Pastor Ryan's podcasts. We do know that there is what we would call spiritual warfare, that there is both things that go on here in flesh and blood reality, and there are things that happen in spiritual reality. And here we see the manifestation of these kinds of things. Oftentimes what we find is that places around the world where the gospel is especially going forward in new places, that these kinds of things take place more openly, that they manifest themselves more. But what, what is being written about here is real. We are called to speak the truth. And John 8, 32, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so what God calls us to do is to minister in truth, to have truth encounters more than power encounters. Most of us, most of us are not going to be involved in going and casting out demons, whatever that means. But all of us are going to be engaged in speaking the truth in love, as Ephesians 4 says. And in this way, again, some of these kinds of things are hard to describe. In this way, we engage in both the spiritual and the material, which in God's universe are intermixed. And when we speak truth, when we minister in truth, there's spiritual forces that we engage in, even if they don't manifest themselves directly like the disciples were doing here. As you go preach this message, he says over in Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, the kingdom of heaven is near. Again, we have these kinds of things. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Again, don't write this off. We're all preachers at one level or another. We're all impacting people. We're all speaking to people, whether it's our family or whether it's a wider group of people. Every one of us, every day. Now, in Matthew here, Jesus says the message is the kingdom of God is near. What's the kingdom of God? Not so much a place but a statement about the king. Essentially, when we say the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is near, we're saying King Jesus is here, King Jesus is near. Kind of like this. If you go to the magical kingdom, whether in California, Florida, what the magical kingdom is trying to do is not only entertain you, but bring you under the dominion of the magical kingdom ideas and the magical kingdom ways of doing things. We might say that the imagination of the Disney company rules when you are there at the magical kingdom. 
When there you're transported into a whole different world, a whole different mindset. Because the Disney company wants to rule in your life. Contrast. Comparison. King Jesus, if you call upon Christ as your Savior, if you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus and declare yourself as a follower of His, He is your King. He rules in your life. He wants to teach you and grow you and have you under His dominion. So which is it? Disney or Jesus? And we've got to sort that out every day, really. Disney being a metaphor for all the things that come at us every day. Which king is it? Who's going to rule in my life, your life? Who's the king of your heart? That's our message. The apostles gathered, it says, over, we're going to jump over to Mark 6 because it's really the ending of this mission. Mark 6, verses 30 through 32. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Some of us need rest. We certainly all need to celebrate. God does things just like we shared this morning and we share every week. Just like Michelle shared with True Girl event. We share and celebrate what God is doing. then we rest. And there is a time to celebrate. There is a time to rest. We have a vision. We have a vision for what God wants us to do. We execute on the vision. And then we rest. And we celebrate. That's why we tell you about the things that God is doing every week. It's why when I go on a missionary trip or other missionaries that we partner with share with us, tell us, here's what God is doing. It's to report and rest and celebrate what God is doing. It's a little bit of what we do in communion as well. We celebrate and we rest. We celebrate what God has done. What God has done on the cross where he offers forgiveness for our sins. We celebrate the rest. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 